What were Jesus's last words? Go out into the whole world and make disciples. This Catholic podcast is all about helping you respond yes to the final and greatest invitation of Jesus, the adventure you were made for. Together, let's explore what the worlds of business, education, organizational leadership, popes, saints, scripture, and the church herself say about fulfilling the Great Commission. All right, folks, welcome back to Being and Making Disciples. This is our second episode. Uh, yes, drumroll, please. Last episode, we talked about what is the primary mission of the church. And by the church, we mean the, the, the organization the church, the hierarchical structure of the church, but also individually, us as the church, her members of her body. It's to evangelize, go and make disciples. Today, we're going to talk about teams because our Lord didn't send the disciples out one by one. You know, He sent them out in pairs. He had a team himself. Teams are key to ministry, to evangelization, to reaching out. And there's a lot that we can learn from other sectors, if you will, from business, education, lots of places about what makes healthy teams that apply to ministry. I think we see our Lord demonstrate these cap- these characteristics himself and how he led his team. So we're just going to focus on one article today. There's lots of books you can read about this. There's many things. But we want to focus on one article by Google. They did a study on five habits of the most effective teams. And, and I'm going to read them to you. And then, Dan, love to hear your reactions. You got it. Quality number one, psychological safety, meaning you're free to share your opinions, thoughts, ideas without repercussion. Second, dependability. They just, when they say they're going to do something, they just do it. They don't postpone it. They don't make up excuses. They, they just get it done. Number three, structure and clarity. Everyone on the team knows their role. Number four, meaning. Folks on the team feel like this work has meaning. It's not just uh, something to pass the time. And number five, impact. Their team is making an impact. So, Dan, what's your reaction to those qualities? Does that make sense? Was Google right? Uh, Absolutely. Um, One, because they're pretty smart. Um, (laughs) So I would probably just – if if I had not had any experience on on a team working towards a goal, then I would yeah. probably say like, oh yeah, no, like I kind of trust them. But 100% having been a part of teams whose specific goal is ministry and discipleship and bringing people close to the Lord, these are essential. And yeah. it's hard to, to pin uh, which one of them is the most important. It, there's probably not one single most important factor, but I can see some that are definitely uh, gateways or gatekeepers to the rest of them. Uh, and the one that really jumps off the page to me is psychological safety. And uh, if you don't feel safe around other people, and what we mean by this is is, is that um, you know the other people are are going to listen, probably somewhat non-judgmentally of you. They're, they'll judge your ideas, but they're not going to attack you. They're not going to make you feel, or they're not going to belittle you if they disagree with your ideas. And so there's this sense that if I think something's a great idea or I think something is a bad idea, I have the freedom to say that and I'm not worried about what that's going to do to the relationships and the dynamics of the team. Um, and that I think that allows for truth to come out and truth to win. No, absolutely, Dan. I, you know, with psychological safety, two things jump out to me uh, kind of from the, the business world. Uh, one is uh, when you think about uh, entrepreneurs starting new ventures, I say a key thing for entrepreneurs is they're not afraid of failure. Failure is okay. Failure is welcome because that is how we learn. I think a lot of times in ministry, we're just so scared of failure. Maybe we've had past failures. We just think, oh, I just don't want to go through that again. I don't want to have to explain the low turnout. We cannot be afraid of failure. Um, the second thing is that 
you know, having this kind of culture where everyone feels safe to share their ideas. You can disagree without attacking the person, right? You can have healthy, honest conversations. It's really important because when people have that freedom, it leads to innovation. You know, I remember years back, I was reading a book on health, on successful organizations. I think it was about ESPN, actually. I mean, back in their earlier days. Um, and one thing that was big at ESPN is they fostered innovation from the bottom up. I know Google themselves does this. You know, they would block, give people time in their schedules to say, just go think and innovate. If you're not innovating, this is why companies have R&D, research and development budgets. If you're not innovating, someone else is going to innovate and beat you. You know, maybe that's why folks have left the church for other denominations. You know, have we been innovating enough? Have we been thinking fresh and what might be holding us back from that. So I say a culture of psychological safety is just essential if you want a healthy, thriving, growing organization. I I love that, especially the bottom up. Um, I'm reminded of something I learned about, I believe it's Southwest. They welcome feedback from any employee on anything. And the flight attendant, flight attendants made the recommendation that they get rid of olives from the salads because no one was eating them or they frequently were uneaten on the flights. And they saved, I want to say over the course of the the year, this sounds like a ridiculous number, a million dollars or in the millions of dollars. Wow. And it sounds ridiculous to think that they would spend a million dollars on olives, but you never know. So it makes sense. You know, I think that shows. So for healthy parishes, healthy apostolates, ministries, outreaches, are you letting everyone circulate their ideas up, you know, down to, um, you know, the people that are uh, doing the dirty work, so to speak, you got to let everybody have a voice to be a healthy organization. Indeed. Now that that next one, yeah, dependability, yeah. Uh, the, I mean, they all ring true, um, but this is the this is the one that's most related to justice. Um, yeah. And I think a a good team can sour pretty quickly if yeah. one person is doing all of the work and they know it. Uh, because they'll just go, they'll decide, like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore because I'm, they just sense the injustice of that. Yeah. No, that 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 makes uh, total sense. You know, a lot of times folks leading ministries are those kids that did all the uh, group projects growing up and stuff. And But, um, you know, I think with uh, dependability, I mean, I think the next attribute goes in a little bit, structure and clarity. But with with dependability, I think it, it speaks a lot to the idea of quick wins. That's a big thing in change management for organizations. Say it, say a company's trying to make a big change across the whole entity. Well, one thing they say to do is you got to have quick wins early on to build some momentum, right? So I think these teams get success and build momentum because they say, hey, we're going to get this thing done next week. And they just do it. They say, yeah. okay, well, this next thing is going to take longer. And they just get it done. They just do it. You know, so... I think we follow the model of St. Joseph, the worker. St. Joseph, I love him because he just did his job, right? He just did his job quietly and just did what he was called to do. So if each of us do that in our ministry settings, dependability, we'll have successful teams. Yeah. Now, structure and clarity, why, to you, you've got a lot of experience this, um, especially as a, as a consultant. Um, why are these two so important? Oh, man. This is like music to my ears, Dan. I mean, I'm the kid that uh, growing up, my favorite aisle in the grocery store was the folders. And maybe, <laughs> maybe anyone out there listening, you're not alone if that was you, the school supplies. But people just, just got to know what their job is. Um, you know, it makes me want to uh, talk about, uh, we might have, some folks might be familiar with this kind of um, 
it's a line that shows that the, the changes in team dynamics as, as a team is moving along. So first, first teams will go through a first phase called form, okay? And that's when everyone's kind of playing nice. You're, you're, you're being nice and you're thinking, okay, this is what we're going to accomplish together. Okay, this is going to be great. Well, next you're going to go through a little phase called a storm. And it doesn't have to be an ugly storm, but that's essentially everyone kind of figuring out their place. You know, who's the planner? Who's our spokesperson? Um, who's the one that's more detail-oriented? Who's the calendar person? That sort of stuff. Then after the storm, you're going to norm, all right? You're going to understand your role. So what I want to encourage people is if you're feeling struggles in the beginning of forming a team, hold on, work through it. Because once you get to norm and you know your roles and it's clear your responsibilities and things aren't leaking over to other people like you were just talking about, like people aren't feeling like they're doing all the work, once you hit norm, then guess what comes next? Perform. Because then you're like a well-oiled machine. Think about a pit crew in a NASCAR race. When they come into the pit, they have the, the faster the better. They have no time to get that to get whatever needs to get done done, right? Well, the reason they can do it is because everybody on that team knows exactly what nuts and bolts they're in charge of. Um, the driver knows what he's supposed to do. So uh, just don't be discouraged if right out the gates your team is struggling because if you work through it, you're going to figure out your roles and then take off down the racetrack. Agreed 100%. I know that was um, one of my faux pas is probably stepping over my uh, – stepping outside of my my lane. And yeah. so I really appreciate it when people remind me, like, I I can do this without you getting in my way. <laughs> right. And, uh, it, then it's kind of it frees me up to say, great, I don't have to worry about that. And for those those people who like to perhaps micromanage, this is really important for them. It's a practice in trust, but that allows them to stop thinking about 15 things and think about three things and do those three things really, really well, rather than 15 things marginally. No, a- absolutely. Um, you know, I think that can happen to all of us because we everybody in their mind has a way something should go. Okay. We're never going to escape this. I mean, it's kind of a beautiful way God made us because if we can't have these kinds of visions, we can't make these plans to fulfill the visions, right? But what we have to do, especially if we're in our leadership role, is, is let go of the details, right? Like, that's why teams need to agree on, like, what's our vision statement, our mission? Like, where are we heading? How we get there, you got to let some freedom and flexibility in or else people feel suffocated, right? And there's not that space to innovate. Um so I think that brings us well to the next attribute, which is meaning. But before we get to that, Dame, we'll take a pause here and, and remind folks, you know, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, if you think it's helpful, please uh, subscribe, uh, like to the face, like the Facebook page, subscribe to the podcast, Being and Making Disciples. Tell your friends about it that are in ministry or thinking about doing ministry. We're trying to build a culture, a community of folks uh, encouraging each other in ministry so that together we can fill the Great Commission. Right. And kind of with that in mind, um, the the reason we thought it would be good to talk about teams is kind of going back to the beginning uh, in parishes, in ministries, working as a team will make us so much more effective. Jesus sent out 10 people out in teams of two on purpose, and we can be so much more effective and support one another if we are there with one another. And so we want every single team at a parish to be really functional, uh, really, really efficient and kind of operating on on all cylinders, burning high octane fuel. Absolutely. And, you know, so I think that brings us nicely into our last two attributes, which really go at the heart, right? The heart. Meaning. It's got to matter. It's got, we got to feel like it really, there's meaning behind what we're doing. You know, that it, that it's making an impact. Um, 
I think sometimes we get involved in things that just make us busy and fill our time and we're just feeling empty. If, if that's your experience right now, you may not be in the right ministry, apostolate, outreach, whatever you're involved in. You might want to reexamine and say, is is this what I'm called to do? Because healthy teams feel that there's meaning behind their work, that it's happening for a reason. The most meaningful thing we can do is bring the gospel to others. Um, but even within the church, it's, I think it's easy. We, if we're doing something that is not mission-centric, um, mm-hmm. then I think we, we have two avenues we can go down. One is we realize, like, well, this this really is critical to the life of the parish. And even though I might not be directly influencing people's relationship with the Lord, I indirectly am because of the, the environment we're creating and, and what I'm facilitating, enabling. Uh, but then there's another avenue and this is a a legitimate way of thinking about what we're doing going back to that psychological safety if something is going on in your your ministry in your community that you think is not important and not helping people get to heaven it's worth it to bring it up and say is this the best use of our time could we be doing something better so that more people can come to know the love of god mm-hmm. no a- absolutely um and, you know, I mean, if our heart's in it, and that's another big thing from change management, um, you know, some of the best change management models say that first you've got to win over the hearts of people. you got to win their hearts, then they'll embrace the change. So the why. So never, ever forget your why. And if, if it's not filling your tank, folks, it's okay to bring that to the Lord and say, God, this is – it's not – I'm not enjoying this like I used to. I'm, I'm not feeling – um, you know, the, the joy that I once did in this outreach, bring it to him and, and see if you're still called to be there. And it's okay. It's okay to walk away if, if it's not. Now, I think this all brings us to the last attribute, which kind of in a way for me sums up all the others, impact, that the work you're doing is making a difference. Now, I think that combines the heart and the head, right? Because we can't be talking about impact just conceptually like, oh, yes, this ministry matters because this is a nice idea. If you're doing the other attributes correctly, if you're working in a team where you can innovate and you have safety, if you're getting things done and you're dependable, if you got structure and clarity, you're going to see results, right? So impact, you'll see the impact. So so if you do the first four right, I think impact just going to come naturally. I, I agree. And there there needs to be that kind of going going down that list. Uh, the safety to say, like, okay, let's move beyond a good idea and make sure this is actually doing what it's supposed to do. Let's tie everything back to the mission, which is evangelization. That's the vocation of the church. Uh, and then, like, we all have to get our jobs done so that we're moving the needle, moving the ball down the field. And be really clear about who's supposed to be doing what so that we're not being redundant, stepping on each other's toes and letting balls drop. Uh, and then, of course, if it's if it's really true to the mission of the church, then it's meaningful. And all of those things can combine together to have deep, meaningful impact. And absolutely. And I, and I think uh, folks might be listening and thinking, all right, this, this all sounds like how do I make sure my team is is doing these things or embracing these habits and beliefs? And, you know, one one good way to do that is to have what what we call a team charter. OK, but. You know, essentially, you know, putting out what what is our vision and mission statement? Where are we going? And then what are the core values that we're going to live by? And then once you identify those core values, remind yourselves of those core values. Maybe when you meet as a team, you use them in a prayer you write. Maybe quarterly, you sit with the core values and discuss together, are we living up to these things? I mean, you could use these five attributes 
as good core values, right? So, so to live these things, they just have to become habits. They become habits by becoming ideas that you get reminded of and you act upon and you build up just like our Catholic faith is about virtue. You just build up that virtue muscle as a team. You're going to see these things lived out. And, um, you know, I think one, one last quote I want to share on the idea of teams from a book called um, No Man Left Behind, Catholic Edition. Awesome book out there by Dynamic Catholic about men's ministry. I think it applies to lots of ministry. I just love one quote in there. It says, we often overestimate what we can do in one year and underestimate what we can do in 10. So don't sweat it if your team is not operating perfectly. You can change course, implement some of these things, and over time, going through those stages we talked about earlier, you can see this team move into a high-functioning pit crew at a NASCAR race. Wow, I really, really like that one. That's kind of challenging because I'm a, I'm a now, now, now kind of person. Uh, but I also, I know it's important to play the long game. That's, I think Jesus played the long game. It took him 33 years. It's kind of, a, that's a fun mystery to think about. He left a team of 12 though, a team that had those core values, right? And then when they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, boom, here we are 2000 years later, the team, the church still in action. So you might be thinking, I, you know, I'd love to hear more about that team charter. I would love a little bit of help informing a team. There are a lot of really good books out there, but we actually have a forthcoming book that has a section on this. So this book is all about ministry. And one of the, the components of it is how do you establish a really, really strong team who gets it and wants to move forward for the Lord, working closely together. So we borrow from our own backgrounds. Uh, Justin has an MBA. I have a doctorate in education. And looking at how we can kind of borrow the best of those fields to help us understand in ministry how to be the most effective. So if that is intriguing to you, we highly recommend our book to you. It is forthcoming. And so we really look forward to sharing info about that with you very soon. Yes, it'll just be in a couple months. So Again, like our page, subscribe to the podcast. You'll hear more about that in the coming episodes, as well as we discuss other topics about being and making disciples. Amen. God bless you all. Please know we are praying for you, and we look forward to the next opportunity to be with you. God bless.